Well, grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the scariest things that ever happened to me happened on the north side of a mountain called Mount Baker. It's uh, in Washington State, and it's up by the Canadian border. Uh, and me and my climbing partners had gone up and, and tried to make the summit, but uh, there had been a lot of new snow, and so snow conditions were not good. And we were on our way down. And as we were on our way down, uh, I was kind of in the lead, and we came to this place where there was rock, and we were walking on the rock. Um, we needed to cross over into the snow. So I got to the edge of the rock, and I stepped out uh, into what I thought was very solid snow. As it turned out, it wasn't. <laughs> My boots sank, as it had every time I'd taken a step in all the new snow. But it didn't stop. So I got in up to my ankle, and then I got in up to my shin, and up to my knee, and up to my thigh, and it just kept going. So I fell forward like this, fortunately onto solid snow, and I pulled my leg out of the hole, and when I looked down into it, I found about 30 or 40 feet of darkness. There's this big pit, this big crevasse that I didn't even know was there, and I didn't have ropes on or anything like that. We were at a part of the mountain that we thought was very, very safe, but there were pitfalls there that we didn't expect. And that's Jesus's point about the Christian life in the parable today from Matthew 20. There are pitfalls there that we don't always expect. See, all the workers in the parable are in a good place. They've come into the vineyard. And when you hear parables about a vineyard in the gospel, it's Jesus looking back at Isaiah chapter 5. The vineyard always means something like the people of God or uh, the, the, the church or something like that. It's a good thing to be in the vineyard. It's a really good thing. And so the workers are all in the vineyard in the parable, and when they get done with their labor, they line up and they want their wages. They want what the owner has promised to them. But when they line up, of course, you remember the parable, the people who have been working only an hour, they get the same thing that was promised to the people that they, they have worked all day. And there's outrage as a result. There's outrage. And you know why there's outrage? There's outrage <clears throat> because the people are no longer thinking about the promise. They're thinking about how they compare to all the other people who are in the vineyard. And that's the pitfall that Jesus points out for us today. Comparison with other people among the people of God. That's the pitfall. It's one that people fell into back in Jesus' time. It's one that people fell into long before Jesus' time. And it's one that we fall into today an awful lot. It's an easy thing to do. It's easy to compare yourself to other people inside God's vineyard. But it results in anger and frustration. And the bottom line is it's sin. It sometimes sounds like this. I was in this Bible study once. It wasn't at this church, but I was in this Bible study once, and I don't remember if the Bible study itself was about stewardship or not, but we got onto the subject of stewardship, and they had, I think, just had a budget meeting or something like that, and the budget, meeting, the budget didn't look very good. And this one guy in the Bible study speaks up, and he goes, I give my part. What's wrong with everybody else? And he meant it. He, he was angry. That's comparison. It's comparison that's a result of sin. Or how about somebody who comes back to church to give it another try after being away for a long time, after, after being de-churched, we sometimes call it. In other words, 
being away from church for a long time, usually because you got hurt. And by the way, I think that often happens as a result of this comparison stuff. I think that's often what hurts people when they leave the church. But how about somebody who comes back to church after that, and against maybe their better judgment, they decide to give church a try, and when they come back for the first Sunday in many, many years, what they hear is, well, it's about time you got here. That's comparison. It's hurtful. It's sinful. You know, we just sang a song that everybody loves, Amazing Grace. It's one of my favorite hymns. It's one of a lot of people's favorite hymns, and it's a beautiful hymn. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing Grace truly is an amazing thing, as long as it's for us. As long as it's who saved a wretch like me, or who saved a wretch like the people that I love, or the people that I like, or my friends, or my family, or the bottom line is, people that I think deserve it. Amazing grace is amazing as long as it's for them, as long as it's not for my enemies, as long as it's not for the people who have wronged me, as long as it's not for the people that I can't forgive, and therefore I I feel like God shouldn't do that either. Amazing grace becomes offensive grace when it's for those people. When we compare ourselves to other people, there's pitfalls all over the place. And the logic is, is not difficult to follow, but when you think about it, it's a little mixed up. Road rage is a great example of this. If you're an angry driver, you probably know the logic. Somebody else is driving like a maniac, or at least what you consider to be a maniac, or I consider to be a maniac, and, and they must be awful people, right? That's the only conclusion that we come to. They can't possibly have a good reason for what they're doing. And if you've done the same stuff they've done, usually the logic goes something like this, well, I had a good reason for it. Or it was understandable under my circumstances. And if you haven't done the same thing, you get angry at those people, and you get angry forgetting all the other rules that you've broken, all the other problems that that you've caused. My sin is always justifiable and understandable, and nobody else's is, ever. That kind of comparison happens all the time among the people of God. And really, it's a natural thing for us to do. It shouldn't surprise us that it happens because we're in a world that's full of comparison, a world that is all about worth and merit and worthiness. We're in a culture that's based on competition, for crying out loud. It's natural for us to compare because everything in our lives, everything that we do is based on comparison except one thing, and that's the grace of God. And God knew, he knew that this was going to chafe against us because it's not just our society, it's every society that's been around. In fact, in the ancient Near East, social standing was a big deal. It was all about comparison there too. But that's why this parable is here. That's why Jesus tells us the stuff in Matthew 20. That's why there's a second brother in the prodigal son. Remember that guy? We don't talk about that guy as much. That's why Isaiah 55 says, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. You know, I always thought of that verse as a way to kind of come to terms with evil in the world. You know what I mean? You see bad things happen, and you go to Isaiah 55, and you say, Well, God's ways are not my ways, so I don't really understand why he lets this stuff happen, but uh, I'm going to trust him. That's not a bad message to take out of it, but it's actually not what the verses are saying at all. Pastor Brandon pointed out to me this week that these verses are actually about grace. They're actually about forgiveness. They're actually giving us some rationale for the question of why would God forgive those people. They're about the gospel, these verses. 
See, comparison is always a problem because at the root level, it always comes from pride. It always comes from putting ourselves up on a pedestal, making excuses for our own sin, and thinking about things as if our sin is a speck in our eye and everybody else's is a log. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says. He says, before you try to remove the speck out of your neighbor's, I get the log out of your own. But we always think of it as my sin is a speck, your sin is a log, at least deep down in our hearts. And the idea, when we think about things that way, the idea that we're going to get the same reward as people who we think are much worse than we are is offensive. God knew it. Jonah knew it. Remember Jonah chapter 4? Remember why he's mad about God? Remember why he ran away? He ran away from his calling. We know that part, but the reason he ran away is because he didn't want God to forgive the Assyrians. He didn't think they deserved it. We don't talk about that part in the Sunday school stories very much. But Jonah knew it. Jonah knew that grace could be offensive. The older brother and the prodigal son knew that grace could be offensive. Remember, he's standing outside the house and he hears the party for the kid that ran away and stole all the father's money and he says, a party for this kid? Are you kidding me? You've never done anything for me. And yet this kid who's done all this stuff, you, you, you've made me equal to him. And that's the problem. That's what the workers say in verse 12. That's what it comes down to. You make us, God, equal to them, whoever them is. You make us equal to people who haven't come to, ch come to church as much. You may make us equal to people who don't volunteer. You make us equal to people who don't tithe. You make us equal to people who have done horrible things. The parable is here because grace is offensive when we're focused not on what God has promised us, but rather focused on how God is treating us as the, the same as people that we think are worse off. And that's the pitfall that Jesus is pointing out to us today. Comparison between ourselves and other people among the children of God. Focus on how much better we think we are, rather than focusing on how much God has promised to us. Back to Mount Baker for just a second. You know what would have helped me? Uh, that day on Mount I mean, it helped me that I didn't fall into the crevasse. But the other thing that would have helped me uh, would have been a probe. A snow probe, a thing that I could, you know, stick into the ground and see if it was solid ground or not solid ground. A, something that would have shown me the pitfalls that I couldn't see on my own. That's one thing that would have helped me. But the other thing that would have helped me if I'd fallen into that crevasse that day, the other thing that would have helped me is rescue. I would have needed it because I couldn't have gotten out myself. I would have needed somebody to rescue me. And God gives us both of those things. When we face pitfalls like this in the Christian life, he gives us the probe and he gives us the rescue. So first, the snow probe. You know why Jesus told this parable? I mean, we, this isn't in our reading. But, but if you back up about six or seven verses, you'll see why Jesus told this parable. He just did something else that was really, uh, that, that was really famous. He talks to the rich kid, remember? And he says, give up all you have and follow me, and the rich kid won't do it. And then he talks about how hard or how impossible it is that rich people will be saved. And by the way, it's impossible for everybody. That's his point. He's just talking about a specific situation in that case. He talks about how difficult it is for the rich kid to get saved, and that the disciples go, well, look at us. We've already given away everything, God. If he was going to get eternal life, then what are we going to get? It's comparison. Comparison between God's people, the disciples, 
and everybody else on the outside. And so Jesus tells this parable of the workers in the, vine in the vineyard. God gives us his word. And one function of that is to show us where the pitfalls are when we don't see them. One function of that is to show us those pitfalls as we walk through our lives. We call it the first use of the law. It's the curb. It shows us the danger, keeps us on the path. But the law also shows us who we are. It also works like a mirror. It reminds us that we are down in the pit, and without Jesus, we'd always be there. In fact, without Jesus, we'd dive right into those pits, even if we knew they were there because we're sinners and we're drawn to sin and we can't help but do things like compare ourselves to other people. We can't help but be offended by the way that God acts when we think he should act otherwise. And that's why he sends Jesus. That's the rescue. Because, see, we need to be pulled out. And we are and we have been. See, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus pulls us out of the pit. He pulls us out of the need to compare. And you know why? He, he does that by the magnitude of what's been promised to us. See, forgiveness, life, and salvation is no small gift, and you've already been given it. You've already received it. You're already in the vineyard by your baptism. And that means the Spirit is here, and the Spirit is here, pointing us to Jesus pointing our eyes always back where they belong, not on the people next to us in the pew, but on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where he pulls our eyes back to. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's what God tells us in the book of Hebrews. And if our eyes are there, we don't have any time for comparing ourselves with other people because we're too busy acting out of a response to amazing grace rather than a, a repulsion at offensive grace. And here's the real beauty of the whole thing. It means that this place is a refuge. It means that here and only here, in all the world, there is no distinction. Here and only here, in all the world, is there true and full equality. It only happens here because it only happens before God. And we're not always great at living that out as the church, to be honest. We're sinners too. But here and only here in the world is the playing field level. This dawned on me one Wednesday in chapel at seminary. Um, as I was in sem, I mean, the, the professors are smart guys, and it's a little bit intimidating. It was especially intimidating for me. There are a couple of, of professors in particular that were very intimidating to me. They were nice people, of course, but really, really smart, and that was, that was intimidating for me. So I was in chapel one day. I was sitting there. We were doing communion. I was waiting for my pew to get called to come up to, uh, uh, to the communion rail, and as I sat there waiting, I was, you know, watching everybody going up to communion, and a couple of those professors went up there to receive the body and blood of Jesus, and that's when it dawned on me that there the playing field was level. There we were not professor and student. It wasn't doctor and seminarian or anything like that. It was just two Christians coming before our God together to receive forgiveness and life and salvation in the body and blood of Jesus. There weren't titles at the altar. There weren't merits at the altar. There was just the blood of Christ. We were equal as the children of God. And that means whatever you did out there this week, 
whatever failures happened, whatever stuff you had to deal with, whatever sins or whatever struggles you're going through that you brought in here with you, we're all on level ground. Because there is no distinction in God's eyes between his children. He looks at all of us. And he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. That's why we're here together. And it's a really good thing that we are. It's a good thing that we are because it means we have partners on the journey with us. We have partners on the mountain. It was a good thing I had my partners there. If I'd fallen in, they would have used the safety gear and pulled me out. And that's why God puts us in the community of faith. That's why he puts us here in the church. See, we've already been rescued by Jesus, but the people around us too, who we often compare ourselves with, they're gifts of God for us as well. They're gifts because when we fall, they're the ones who use the safety gear and help pull us out. And that happens when the Spirit works through them, when they speak the word to us, when they show us that we need help, and when they bring our eyes back to Jesus, the place where they always should have been in the first place. He uses them because they use his word. And this is where that happens. This is where God speaks to us. This is where God challenges us. This is where God kills us with the law and makes us alive with the gospel. And by the way, this is the place where he makes all those other sinners who are sitting in the pews with you and standing up preaching to you alive also. And he does it all with his amazing grace. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus. Amen.